Thank you, Daniel. Please take your seats. Or you can stand up. I really don't care. I stand up the whole time. I believe in the ancient world, the teacher sat and everyone else stood. That wouldn't last very long, would it? God bless you for being here this morning. Not only those here within this building, but all those online. And for those who are viewing this through um, as it's being recorded, um, it's a blessing for me to be here. It always is. Love sharing the word of God. You know, one doesn't need to share it well to enjoy sharing it. You simply do the best you can, no matter who we are. Whatever God has called us to, you simply do your best. Do you remember that book? And, and none of this is scripted here. Uh, you know, sometimes that's dangerous. But, you know, Max Lucado, I don't know, back in the 70s, one of his first books was titled The Applause of Heaven. Don't know if you read that or not. I just remember the titles. I don't remember many of the stories. But I love the title, The Applause of Heaven. It's what every messenger of God should seek, every Bible school teacher, every Christian within the body of Christ, the applause of God, the applause of heaven. Not that we need to be rewarded. What that means is we simply want God to be pleased. After all, we are His people. He is our God, our Father, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Somos la familia de Dios, no? By the way, welcome this morning. Uh, bienvenidos, mis hermanos, a la Iglesia de Cristo en Antioquia. Bueno verte. It's really good to see you. I would like to go, you know, have a list. I haven't written anything down, so I'm not even going to start. Other than to say this, I was just told in the foyer that Dwayne and Nancy Clark are, are great-grandparents of twins. Now, you can applaud that if you like. You know. But I didn't get the names or anything else like that. And it's good to see others that I haven't seen in quite a while. Brothers and sisters. Okay. Um, how to start this? Now, for those who have been around me a while, you'll remember that I've shared the illustration of putting on the Air Force uniform in, various, uh, in a various order, um, but I think this will feed right into the text. By the way, Jim Thweet, Brother Jim just <laughs> was the perfect segue into Ephesians 4, and not only Daniel and Jim and Joe David singing, but I think all of those who make this worship service um, a, a beautiful moment for the Lord. Those in the booth, none of this happens by accident. So thank you very much, Brian and your team in the booth. Um, Anyway, uh, for, I don't know, for over 30 years, uh, every day, at least during peacetime, when you're deployed or you're in the field overseas, it's a different uniform, everything's already stitched on. So there's nothing to do but just put it on and you wear it for a week or two, and then eventually, you know, because everyone else smells the same, and, but, but it's the same uniform. But stateside, we, normally in the Air Force, we would wear a... It's called a Class C, but we'd wear our blue shirt. 
In the summertime, it'd be short sleeve. In the wintertime, long sleeve with tie. And there only had there only three things, unless you added the ribbons, only three things that you put on the shirt. You put the rank on, your name, and you put your, your, your emblem of whatever you do. If you're a pilot, you, you pin on the wings and so forth. But I pinned on the cross. Well, every morning, whenever I was wearing that particular uniform, there was an order to it. I would put the cross on, I'd put the name on, and I'd put the rank on, and, and I would try to remind myself after each one uh, who I am and to whom I belong. The cross, I belong to Christ to God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. My name, I represent my father and his family and my mother. Um, and then the rank changed, but God, you know, God's the one who promotes, and so he must have wanted me to wear whatever I was rank, ranked at the time. I want you to know that uh, I loved that. I loved wearing the cross on the uniform because everywhere I went, everyone recognized me as a Christian. Now, they knew that I was a cleric, a, a, a chaplain, and I liked that. I liked, uh, I liked walking the flight line, and first thing everyone is trained to see is the rank, and then when they look beyond the rank, they look at the insignia, at the emblem, and they say, oh, chaplain, you know, instead of calling you first, you salute and all that, instead of calling you by, by rank, they see the cross, and they say, chaplain, and invariably... They would then add, do you have a minute? <laughs> do you have a minute? It was wonderful. And I would always say, oh yeah, I've got all day if you need me. These were visible reminders of the holy. In fact, I can tell you that's what my colleagues and I would call it. And we would even refer to ourselves. Don't, if it sounds pious, you're missing the point. They're visible reminders of the holy. Years ago, I was, um, I was hearing Dan Scott, who used to be the preacher at Christ Church, and, and all of a sudden, he began wearing a clerical collar. And I thought, well, that's okay. You know, everybody has to, you know. You, but I wondered why. And then the moment he went into it, I said, oh, I understand that. Not that I agree with it, but I understand it. He said, I wear the collar because when I walk the corridors of the hospital, I want people to realize that I am a, I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a Christian minister, and I want them to stop me and say, do you have a minute? I want, to, I want that. It wasn't out of pride. It was out of, I want people to see what I wear. And I'm thinking, what did the early church wear? And Paul gives us the answer in Ephesians chapter 4. These are really Ebenezers. We don't use that word anymore, even in the old hymn. Do you remember the hymn that has the word Ebenezer in it? 1 Samuel 7, 12. I won't go through the whole story, but basically in Hebrew, an Ebenezer was a, was a stone of help. It was a symbol of God's presence. The cross was an Ebenezer. When I carry my Bible around, go to Starbucks to study, as opposed to the iPhone. Frankly, I like having the printed version when I'm in public. On the iPhone, they no telling what they think or if they think anything at all. But you bring a Bible out and open up the Bible while you're having your cup of coffee and read, everyone notices. 
And these are good moments. These are visible reminders of the holy. Here we are in an election year. The other day, Debbie happened to see this sign, I guess, in front of the Diggs house. And so she asked about it, and Steve said, well, I can get you a sign like that. By the way, they're only $4. He can provide everyone a sign. No problem with that, right? No debt, no sweat. We can take care of this. I don't mean we, I mean you. You can take care of this. For less than $1,000, you could all walk out of here with a sign. But frankly, I thought, you know, I'm going to vote. And I know precisely, you know, who I'm going to vote for. I want to vote my conscience, and I want you to vote your conscience, and I want America to vote their conscience. I don't necessarily have to put a sign out. You can. You can put a Biden or a Trump sign out, no problem with that. But I thought, what do I really want to convey to the community? And frankly, church, and thank you, Steve, for helping us with this. Thank, this is what I want to convey in 2020. Now, people want, you know, I've, it's very interesting. I don't have a, a rocking chair on the front porch. But I do watch people as they drive by when I'm outside. Most people, will, some will stop and say, I like your sign. Others may not, so they simply look at me like, you know, what kind of weirdo are you? But it's an Ebenezer. It's a visible reminder of the holy. I can tell you, church, the Apostle Paul loved visible reminders of the holy. And he spoke of them all the time. In fact, what we have in all of his 13 epistles is our, our, our uh, letters of balance. Letters of the first part of every epistle is usually teaching, doctrine, the word. I'm thinking of other synonyms, metaphors, learning. And the latter part of all of his epistles are always practical. I mean, Jesus 2020 is practical. It's it's a reminder to the community, by the way, we need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our nation because, in fact, Christ is the answer. He is. You may not know it, but trust me, he's the answer. And so the sign was, was that visible reminder of the Holy. For example, in Romans chapters 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul presents doctrine, just the Greek word for teaching. He presents teaching and then chapters 12 through 16, this is the practical part. This is how you implement the teaching, how you live the teaching. Galatians 1, 2, 3, 4, teaching. 5 and 6, practical. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, teaching. 4, 5, and 6, practical. One is what we learn. The other is how we live what we learn. You really can't have one without the other. If you have the learning without the living, you're a hypocrite or you're an unbeliever and you just, it's just an exercise in futility that you enjoy you know, reading books and one happens to be the Bible. If, however, you uh, don't know anything, if you don't learn the doctrine, the teaching, then you simply cannot live it. It's impossible. You cannot follow Jesus, 1 Peter um, 2.21, I think, 1.21 or 2.21, when the Apostle Peter says, For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you the example that you should follow in his footsteps. 
I cannot follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ if I don't know where he stepped. So the living is really contingent on the learning. But they're both absolutely essential as God's people, as the church. You want to be a better coach? You want to be a better man, better husband, better father? Then you live what you've learned. So here we are in Ephesians 4. Now what I want to do is, I want to, every word that's underlined, we're going to lightly touch upon. Paul begins, now keep in mind, this is the very beginning of the practical section. I, therefore, a prisoner for our Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all lowliness and meekness, with patience, forbearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit uh, through the bond of peace. Therefore, of course, it's a conjunction, right? And it's there for a reason, as they say, un, in the Greek text. I, therefore, what are you talking about, Paul? What do you mean, therefore? What preceded it. Well, this is what preceded it. We, Paul would say, you Ephesians, we have been chosen by God. We have been redeemed by Christ. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have been saved by grace. Therefore, walk a life worthy of the calling. Lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You want to know what their visible reminders of the holy were, what their Ebenezers were? It was lowliness, humility, meekness, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, love, and peace. Paul understood that if we as God's people could live a life with lowliness and meekness, and patience, and love, and the bond of peace, everybody will take notice no less than this. They see a sign in my yard. I really want them to see that sign in my life. That's what I want. And I pray with God's help, that's what they see. That communicates clearly even when the sign is, is misunderstood, one's life communicates really, really well. A prisoner of the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all lowliness. You may have in your, in your version, um, you may have the word humility. You know, C.S. Lewis, and he's attributed with this, but I think it's a combination of... Um, of, of Lewis and maybe one or two other authors, but Lewis um, has been purported to, to, to have written, though I've never been able to find it exactly, so that's my disclaimer, but it's a great line. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And if we really think about it, that's what God, through Paul, is telling us. Think of yourself less. Look not, Philippians 2, 3, look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. 
It's the mind of Christ. He goes on to say, verses 5 through 11, humility is not thinking that we're nothing. It's thinking of ourselves not at all. It's realizing that as we live, I only think about you, and you only think about others, and so forth. That's true lowliness. Now, in the ancient world, I can assure you that um, leadership was, did not include humility. In fact, the word lowliness in the text, at least when you go back in, in church history and really any sort of uh, secular history, you'll never find leaders defining themselves as lowly or as meek, even though that's a controlled strength. Nonetheless, you won't find leadership defining themselves. Well, how did leaders define themselves? Do you remember that conversation between uh, Salome um, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verses 25 through 28? I'm going to read it in just a moment. <clears throat> you've got, um, you've got um, Salome who's going to be, uh, she's asking Jesus if he would, when he comes into his kingdom, if, if, if he would allow her two sons, James and John, to sit on his right and on his left in the kingdom. You're on the throne, and then we have James and John. The other apostles were indignant when they heard her ask that, but it's a very good question for, you know, for, in fact, some would argue, in fact, I think, as we read the text, I think she was clearly the aunt of Jesus. James and John were first cousins to the Lord. She was the sister or half-sister of Mary. We don't know if Joseph was alive at the time or not, but we do know from other writings that more than likely, you know, Salome was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So it's a very natural request, nephew, but she calls him Lord because she, you know, she, she truly realized who he was. Lord, when you come into your kingdom, allow my two sons to sit on each side. And what did Jesus say? He said, woman, you don't know what you're asking. You don't have a clue. And then he summoned all the 12. And he says in verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Notice how this is, this is not just cute. This is uh, um, turning the world upside down. Anyone who would be great must be your servant. And whoever would be first uh, among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, when he's addressing the shepherds, and he says, tend to the flock of God in your charge, not by constraint, but willingly. And then he goes on to say that you are the, you are the servants of the church. Somehow we have this hierarchical, because we live in a world that's fallen, we have this hierarchical sense of even the body of Christ. You don't have to go to the Roman Catholics or the Eastern Orthodox to see hierarchy. We have it all through even our own fellowship. And it's a misunderstanding. I pray to God we don't have it at Antioch, and I, you know, I don't see it. But the hierarchy is not the shepherds, you know, God, Christ, the elders, you know, the preacher, the, you know, servant leader, the deacons, and then you guys in the pew. 
That order is foreign to Scripture. If there was an order, and there isn't beyond the body, being subservient to the head, which is Jesus Christ, if there was an order, I assure you, the chief servants of this congregation, the lowliest of all would be the shepherds. Now, the order is not in Scripture, but it's a good reminder that God has completely organized the body of Christ as no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female, no bond, nor free, no slave or free. All are what? Loudly. You've got your masks on. All are one in Christ Jesus. That is what the world needs to see. So what's one visible reminder of the holy? Lowliness. What about meekness? Very interesting etymology of the word. I'm going to see if I can go through this quickly, which I should never preface that, like, you know, because that's just like impossible for me. I just can't. For the longest while, from what I've read in church history, for the longest while, no one really understood what the word prautes in Greek meant other than meek. You know, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, elsewhere, Ephesians 4 right here, meekness. They, it was really translated as more of a weakness until, you know, in the 7th century before Christ, uh, Homer, the, the great classic poet, and really the one who set the Greek nation on its foundation for intellectual studies, Homer, in his Iliad and Odyssey and other writings, used the word, and somehow, in the early part of the century, 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, some Greek scholars went back and they found the word. And the word was associated with the owner of a great stallion, a horse. And the moment the owner of the horse tamed the strength of the stallion, he called it parutes. Controlled strength. Come to me, Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek. Same word. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. And I want to come back and say, Really? What is easy about living a Christian life? And then I think, well, of course it's easy because it's not up to wit. I have the Holy Spirit living within me to guide me into all things. I still have control, but if you relinquish control, you are simply one who is guided by God himself. The reason Jesus said, come to me, if you're, if you're uh, uh, laden and, and heavy laden, you know, come to me and I will give you peace. I will, I will, I forgot the text now, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My burden is easy. It's only light and easy because of the strength of God, the strength of Christ. 
And if I want to be a visible reminder of the holy, then I need to understand I, I must control my own strength. You are strong people in God. There are people on the walking this community who've never heard of God, or they certainly don't know what he teaches. And so there is no doubt in my mind that you have learned the doctrine. You've learned the teaching. And as you live it, you need to live it by thinking of others first and by controlling your own strength and not come across in any spiritual haughty way. Lowliness, meekness with patience. One of the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience. Church, patience is not doing nothing. <laughs> it's the opposite. Patience doesn't mean that you quit and you're discouraged and you do nothing. Patience is the opposite of that. Patience is persistence in doing the right thing. Another word for English would be long-suffering. One of the visible reminders of the holy to my neighborhood is when things go awry in my life and my friends, my neighbors understand it and they come to me and they offer their, their condolences or their solace and, you know, there is this moment of, 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 of weakness, if you will, but patience is being long-suffering. I'm not sure if I explain that well enough, but I know that it is truly a visible reminder of the holy. It's, it's Paul in Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary of well-doing. If you grow weary of well-doing, you're not patient. You're too discouraged. And when you're discouraged, you don't live for Christ. You only live for Christ when you're buffeted and encouraged and persistent. So what are the visible reminders that we wear? I don't see any clerical collars. I don't see a cross on your chest. You know, Our visible reminders are thinking of others first, humility. Controlling our strength, meek, meekness and never growing weary of well-doing, patient. Forbearing one another in love. All of these dimensions, lowliness and meekness and patience, everything for that matter, all the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, don't just begin with love, love they are embedded in love. And the word that Paul uses is the word that you've heard before, agape. It is an unconditional love. It's not conditioned on how you treat me. I don't care how you treat me. I'm going to be lowly and meek and patient because I'm going to forbear you in love. It begins within the body of Christ, but it extends to the world. 1 Corinthians 13, right, verse 4, love is patient and kind Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love does not uh, rejoice at the wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all 
things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. Now those are words we've heard, but if you really think about that litany, wow, you could, that could be the only four verses of the entire scripture that you remember. And if you can live them, you will be worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And the only way we can have this bond of peace is to exemplify these visible reminders of the holy. 1 Corinthians 10, 17, the bread which we break, is it not a participation in the, in the body of Christ? We who were many, we who are many, become one because we break the one bread. Paul's not talking about physical, you know, um, substance. He's talking about the body of Christ. Now it's in reference to the communion because that's the symbolism involved. But do you want to know what the world sees when they see us or what God wants them to see? That's what he wants them to see. You who are fragmented, you who are, I don't know, Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and don't want to vote and whatever, you who are black and white and and Latino, you who speak different languages, you who are men and women and boys and girls, you who who are of, of a different economic class. And the world sees this. And God said, now, to be visible, to be my reminder, their reminder of who you are in me, let me remind you the bread which we break. Is it not a fellowship into the body of Christ. We who are many become one because we break the bread of Christ. That's what the world sees. And then he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do what? You, I know you've got it memorized. Say it. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, who is the proclamation for? Is it for the body of Christ? I guess you could say, yeah. We pro- it's the proclamation is to the world. Now, church, we are visible reminders of who God is. And if you walk with lowliness, if you think of others first before yourselves, if you walk in meekness, if you control the spiritual strength that God has given you because you've had the right diet, You've longed for the pure spiritual milk, you know, 1 Peter 2, 2. And by that, you've grown up in salvation. If we do those things, if we think of others first, and we control our strength, and we are never weary of well-doing, and we love, there will be peace. And peace is not the absence of conflict. It never was. Peace is... Scripture, God's peace, shalom, arene, has always been the discovery of God's presence within the storm. Do we have storms here at Antioch? Do you have personal storms? Sickness, death, loneliness, loss of a job? We could go on and on. Do you really think we're any different 
than any other group outside this building when it comes to our problems? No. We are the same. But we are one. And they're not. We help each other. They don't. We want to help them. And we do that by showing them that we, imperfect, saved by grace because it's a present from God, it's a gift, we lead a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And I'll tell you, that evangelistic behavior will convert more people to Christ than any word you can ever share. What do they talk about a sermon? You know, I'd rather see one than hear one. So this morning, let's remember this beautiful verse of Scripture. Let's remember when Paul is addressing the churches of God in his century, it's the same word today. Lead a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. With all lowliness, in meekness, with patience, forbearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And all of God's people said,